following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. The Three Little Pigs and Other Stories. Now, Ruben should have been a little bit more specific, I think, with me. There is a well-known little passage in here that I would love to share with you guys this morning. So gather around, children. It's story time. Once upon a time, there were three little pigs. They went out to make their way in the world with the strict instruction to watch out for the big bad wolf. The first little pig found a nice spot to live and constructed for himself a house made of straw. The second little pig went a bit further down the road and built a house made of sticks. The third little pig, who remembered his instruction to watch out for the big bad wolf, decided to build a much stronger house. He found a nice spot and built a brick house. It took a long time and hard work, but eventually he got it finished. A short time after that, the big bad wolf came snooping around. He was hungry for some yummy little piggies, so he walked up to the straw house and knocked on the door. Little pig, little pig, let me come in, he said. And the pig replied, not by the hair on my chinny chin chin. Well, you know the story by now. The wolf huffed and puffed and blew the straw house down. The terrified little pig ran as fast as his little bacon legs could carry him to the second pig's house. The wolf came along and the same thing happened. A little huffing, a little puffing, and the stick house was history. Two sets of bacon legs ran screaming to the third pig's house. The wolf followed right behind and set to work on the third little pig's brick house. But huff as he did and puff as he might, he could not knock down the brick house. So the wolf went away hungry. The end? Not quite. You see, that fateful day changed the pigs' lives forever. They realized just how much of a danger they were in with the big bad wolf and how safe they were in the brick house. The next day, they went to the village over the hill to get some supplies. To their horror, they noticed that all of the houses in the village were made with either sticks or straw. What would happen if the wolf ever discovered this village? It would be a bloodbath. So right there and then, the three little pigs decided to dedicate their lives to helping all of the village pigs find safety in a brick house. They went all throughout the village, warning the pigs about the big bad wolf and telling them about how the brick house had provided sanctuary from him. Some of the pigs ignored them. Some of them were angry and told them to buzz off. But some of the pigs listened to them and believed them. They got started right away building a brick house for them to live in. After it was completed, the three little pigs left the blueprints for the house and moved on to the next village. Sometime after that, the big bad wolf discovered the village. He had a great time blowing down houses and gobbling up piggies. But try as he might, he simply could not get to the pigs in that brick house. Well, after that, the rest of the village started paying more attention. Some joined the pigs in the brick house and 
Others wanted other brick houses built in their part of town. Brick houses started popping up all over the place. But soon there was a problem. You see, having that many pigs all in one brick house started causing some friction. Disputes started up between certain pigs over what color the carpet should be or who was allowed to live in the brick house with them. The disagreements turned into arguments. The arguments turned into fights. It got so bad that some pigs couldn't stand living in the house anymore and they left only to be eaten by the big bad wolf. Other houses started to get built, but the builders were in such disagreement that they weren't built properly. When the big bad wolf came along and huffed and puffed, they came crumbling down. Now the rest of the village looked on at all of this commotion with a mixture of incredulity and disgust. Many of them decided that it really wasn't worth it to live in the brick house. Others looked at the poorly constructed houses coming crashing down and decided that they were probably just as safe in their own houses. The numbers in the brick houses started to dwindle. And to this day, because of the bickering and the complaining of the pigs in the brick houses, the rest of the village looks on at brick houses as obsolete and useless even though there was never anything wrong with the original design. In fact, brick houses remain the only defense against the big bad wolf. And yet they're empty. The big bad wolf, of course, loves this. He frequently visits the village and never goes away hungry. The end. All right, well, let's hold that story lovely and happy as it is, in our minds while we move across to a different book. And yes, just in case you're excited to get a little concerned, we are actually going to look at the Bible. So that emergency text to Reuben, you can just delete that. We're fine. Instead, what you can do on your uh, phones is open up your iPad app or your phone app or your Bible app to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians is a city in Greece, just seven and a half hours northeast of uh, Corinth, where we've just been, up the E90. So uh, you guys found that. We're going to go to chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. All right, so a little, little context here. If you're unfamiliar with the book of Philippians, it is a letter written to the church in Philippi by a guy named Paul. 
uh, just like Corinthians was that we've been looking at. So Paul is a guy, his MO is he, he goes around, he went around, sorry, um, in the early part of the first century, just after Jesus uh, went back to heaven. And he went around Turkey and Greece and he started planting churches. He'd plant a church, get it started, he'd move on. But he would also uh, write letters to those churches that he had planted so that he could build them up and encourage them and teach them and, and keep them going. He cared very deeply about these churches. Now, at the time that he wrote the book of Philippians, uh, Paul is living in Rome. And the church in Rome is going through a division. It's going through some real troubles. And so Paul is living with firsthand knowledge of the kind of pain and the kind of destruction that division can cause a church. He is seeing firsthand what our human hangups can do to a church. And what happens when we focus on our human tendencies instead of our heavenward focus. And so when he hears of a situation in the Philippian church between these two prominent women, and I'm not going to try and say their names, but these two prominent women and they're bickering and they're fighting and they're in disagreement. And Paul smells trouble. And so he decides to write this letter to the Philippian church to kind of bring them together, to bring them and make them unified. And if you've read many of Paul's letters, unity is a huge theme for him. He pleads earnestly with his churches to remain unified, to be of one mind, one spirit. And so he sees this situation and he jumps at it. And so he starts talking about unity in the book of Philippians at the end of the first chapter, actually. And he, he works through in the second chapter with this beautiful hymn of, of Jesus' own humility, uh, which many of you will have read before. And then we get to, this ver get to our passage in verse 12. In six verses, not very long, and it's centered around a rather simple command. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I mean, it's not too complicated, right? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Of course, it's passages like this that remind us that Paul never had children. You know what I'm talking about. I have three boys at home. Thankfully, none of them are in here right now. I have three boys at home. So my entire existence is grumbling and arguing, right? I mean, they grumble and they argue with each other about what each other are doing. They grumble and argue at us about what we're doing. They grumble and argue at us about what they're doing. And if they're not grumbling and arguing with each other, then we're grumbling and arguing about their grumbling and arguing. It's a happy home, trust me. We love each other. And of course, I mean, life has disagreements, right? When you're in close community like you are in a family, you're going to disagree. There's going to be arguments that come up. I don't think Paul has any issue with this. I mean, we argue, we complain all of the time, we make up, and, you know, we move on, right? Except when we don't. Because sometimes the arguments go a little too far. Or they happen too often. Or it strikes a little too deep. And sometimes the arguments turn into fights and turns into division. And suddenly relationships start fracturing. If you've ever been in a situation 
if you've experienced divorce or parents divorced or anyone in your family with that sort of situation, you know, you know the pain of loved lost. You know the pain of when relationships you thought were cemented come apart. And the same thing happens in the church. We have disagreements. Those disagreements turn to arguments. Those arguments turn to fights. And those fights turn into divided congregations. I'm sure we've all heard of situations like that. Things are popping into our heads. Stories we've heard. Churches we've been a part of. Now, the joyous thing for me preaching this passage is that I don't actually know of any situations in this church where that applies. So I'm not targeting anyone. And yet I'm also convinced that in a group this large and in a church this established, there is going to be people who are in conflict with each other. There are going to be people who are disagreeing. There are going to be people who are even arguing. But what I want us to hear in this passage and in my message, I want us to hear not words of condemnation or even really chastisement. What I want us to hear are words of desperate love from a God who cares so deeply for your heart and for the strength of his community here. He doesn't want to drag up things that have happened in the past, lay them out and say, you shouldn't have done that. That's not his game. What he wants to do is to give us the tools, the motivation, the urge to from this point forward to live in strength as a community and to do it through the simple command. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. And he gives us some good reasons. That's what I want to look at in this passage. He gives us three good reasons why we should live like this, why we should ditch the complaining, quit complaining. First is obedience. Verse 12, right at the beginning of the passage, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. See, Paul starts with this simple idea of obedience. God says, hey, you should stop uh, complaining and arguing. So we say, sure. God says it, we do it. Can I say that that's a little bit of a lost art today? The simple, because God says so. Not to pick on my family too much again, but we see this at home as well. You know, when you, you tell your kids, hey, can you go do this? And the first question is, why? Because I said so, right? You know, <laughs> right? But we do the same thing, don't we? We see these commands in the Bible and we say, well, why? Why would God say this? Why do we have to do this? What's the reasoning? What's going on behind here? Give me a reason to do this. And you know, we can and we do and the Bible does provide this. But I wonder sometimes if God just throws his hands up sometimes, he says, do it because I said so, Right? I mean, I'm still in charge here, right? I'm still God, right? But we often, we need a reason. This is what I love about the language Paul uses here. He says in verse 12, 
work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, our first sort of tendency is like, hang on a second, that seems a little harsh. God's a loving God. You know, now we're supposed to be afraid. Well, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not being afraid. Have you ever been to Butterfly Creek? They have some saltwater crocodiles at Butterfly Creek. Have you seen them? Oh, man. I remember going there, and, you know, I've seen alligators and stuff like that, but I went and I saw these crocodiles. I was like, they're big. They're big animals. And they're like 30% mouth, you know? I mean, they're incredible creatures. And we saw this. They did this demonstration with them. They fed them a little bit. They had this rowboat, okay? So like a full-on rowboat. And they put it out there, and they kind of provoked the crocodile to bite it. And he clamped down on this thing and it just splintered like it was made of balsa wood. You know, this thing just came flying apart and I was just like, whoa, you know, and you kind of get that tingly feeling, right? Kind of get this like when you're seeing something like incredible like that, you're just like, whew, <laughs> kind of glad for this little safety glass right here. And you're not afraid because you're safe. The glass is there. If I was in there, different story. I'd probably need a new pair of pants to start with. But I mean, you know, it's, but you're behind the glass. You're safe. We are safe with God. We're safe with Him. He loves us. He cares for us. But we seem to, in hearing that, we've lost the magnificence and the power of who He is. This is the God who said, let there be light, and the burning star of the sun just appeared. This is a God who holds our existence in his fingertips. We should get that tingly feeling a little bit, don't you think? A little bit of that awe, a little bit of that fear. Not afraid, but fear. Respect. And so when he says... Do everything without grumbling and complaining. We do. Not because we're afraid he's going to punish us, but because why would we ever say no to a God like that? Why would we ever consider ourselves more important or bigger or better than a God like that? And honestly, we could finish there because what other reason do we need? But Paul gives us some more. Some more reasons to quit complaining. The second is example. The reason so many pigs left my story, I'm hoping you're getting the, the relevance of that story now. Uh, so many, the reason so many pigs left the brick house was nothing to do with the brick house. It was to do with the pigs inside it, bickering, complaining, and arguing. People in the world look at us and they see us backstabbing and arguing and complaining and being divided. They look at us and they say, how is it better in the community of God than out of the community of God? What protection do we have? We're better off on our own. Have a listen to verse 14 to 16. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. 
So Paul is talking about how, who we are, we want to be blameless and pure, but he's comparing us. There's this comparison between who we should be as God's children and the rest of the world. We should shine like stars compared. Now, I'm not saying that we're, we're like, we're up here and they're down here and we're all high and mighty. And I know that the world looks at us with impossible standards. And as soon as we mess up, they think, oh, there you go. You know, and, and that's not fair. I get that. But shouldn't there be some difference? I mean, shouldn't there be something that is different about being a Christian than, than not? We're still ambassadors to Christ, right? Our example is still the measuring stick for how people look at our faith, for better or worse. And yet how many conversations have I had, you had, people have had with people who are just not interested in Christianity. We're just, I just don't want to have a thing with it because not because of who God is, not because of what the Bible says, but because of what Christians have done in His name. Time and time again, they've been burnt by people, not by God. And they're turned off to who God is, and they're not interested in church as an institution or as a community because it's full of people. <laughs> and look, we're broken. We know that. But shouldn't there be something in us? I mean, doesn't having the Spirit in us change who we are somewhat to where we have a different perspective on the way that we treat each other? We hold the only defense against the big bad wolf. Jesus gave the keys to the kingdom of heaven to us. Not that we could lock people out, but that we could invite people in. Can we be the type of community that draws people in? The light, shining like, like stars, drawing people in like moths. Can we look at each other instead of seeing what we want to see what, what our argument is? Can we not look at each other as children of God? Should we not have a perspective that they are created in the image of the Almighty, same as me? And should that not change the way that we relate to each other? Because when we let our complaints and our arguments get so strong that it divides us, we are telling the world that the brick house is useless and they will believe us. It's what I call anti-evangelism. Third reason, legacy. This is kind of an interesting one because Paul in, in uh, verse 16, he urges the Philippian church not to complain or argue because ultimately it damages all of the work and effort that he put in to start the church in the first place. Have a listen to it. He says, and when I will, then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. He's like, guys, I put a lot of work into this church. Don't ruin it. Stop it. This is not a selfish thing. Okay, so from Paul's perspective, he has given his life to starting these churches. He has given his energy, his, even his freedom to this work. 
And it's not that he wants to prop himself up. What he wants is to present these churches as a gift to God on the day that Christ returns and he gathers his people together. He wants to be able to say, look, I know that all of my good works are filthy rags and I know that I cannot earn my way into heaven, but I want to show you something. Daddy, daddy, look what I made. I made these churches and I wanted to plant them so that more people could get to know you. And I wanted to build them as strong communities, safe havens from the wolf. Look what I've done. Here they are, they're for you. What a joyous thing for Paul to be able to do. And yet when they tatter, when they break, they divide and they crumble, it's like, ah, I had this really cool thing that I built for you, God, but it broke. And there's just a disappointment there. Every church has a founder or a group of founders, including this one. I was there at the beginning. I wasn't one of the founders, but I was there. It's their desperate hope that the church will grow and thrive, that it'll weather um, adversity and become a beacon of light to the dark world. That's what every church planner wants for their church or should want. And I know because I am one of these people. I did start a church with the Hutchisons and, and some other people. We, we all started a church down in Christchurch. And we poured our hearts into it, our lives into it. And it hurts when it comes into trouble. It hurts personally. Whenever there's division, strife, problems, whatever the reasons, sometimes it's not about complaining and arguing. Sometimes things happen. It still hurts. The Bible says that we, can, that we should honor our leaders. I think one of the greatest ways that we can honor our leaders is to be the kind of community that they were desperately hoping to create to be the kind of people who are gathered together, put our differences aside, and to love each other. All right, so Paul is clear about the fact that we should, for lack of a better phrase, quit complaining. And he even tells us why. But how? I mean, it may seem cut and dry. You quit complaining, right? But we're in the heat of conflict. It's really hard to set aside our personal emotions. It's hard to set aside our argument. I think what's happening in these situations, it is not the argument that causes the problems. In fact, arguing and and disagreeing and conflict can be really, really healthy, necessary things for a church to grow and thrive, any organization. The problem comes with the emotions behind it what we are feeling when we are trying to present a disagreement. And it becomes not about the thing that we're arguing with. It becomes about having my voice heard. Or it becomes about establishing my place or establishing my authority or, or making sure that that person doesn't get their way. Or they hurt me. They, they backstabbed me. They did something wrong to me. And I'm not going to let them get away with this. And so all of these personal emotions muddy the water. And so when it comes to time to resolve the conflict, it can't be resolved because the conflict is not what it's about. It's about our emotions. It's about what's going on behind. So what can we do about this? 
Perhaps some words of Jesus can help us here. John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love one another. Actively love one another. Think about this for a second. What would life be like if whenever we interacted, we actively said, I'm going to love this person as a child of God. More importantly, I'm going to act, I'm going to love them and put their needs and who they are ahead of my own. What if we did that? What point in that scenario would you ever have time or space to argue and complain and be divisive? If you're putting other people's needs before yours, there's no room for that. If you're actively loving each other, your, your anger just kind of takes a second, a back seat. And maybe you need to deal with issues, and you do, but you deal with them properly. One more thing. I don't want to end the message there. Although I am going to end the message, so don't worry. I just, I don't want to end it there because Paul doesn't end that passage on that note. We've kind of gotten dark and deep a little bit. <laughs> but Paul says at the end, I love these last two verses in this passage. He says, but even if I am being offered, poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. He's saying, even if everything is collapsing, even if everything is going wrong, even if there is arguing and complaining, and even if all of my work, even if I've poured myself out for nothing, I'm okay. I'm okay. You know why? Because there's a bigger story at play here. There's a bigger story at play. God is bigger than this situation. His story is bigger than this story. Churches hurt. They break apart. The gospel does not. It continues. God's work continues. He finds a way. He spreads his word. So even when everything is falling apart, we can rest in the knowledge that God is still doing his thing. There is always room for reconciliation. There is always room for making things right. And there is always, always room for God to succeed in what he is trying to do. And we can rest in that. It's another little glass barrier. We're safe. We're protected. And God will look after us. And he gives us the strength to love and to act the way he wants us to. So the story is never going to end as a failure, like my story. Never. I don't think anything really defines that as well as communion. We celebrate a time where Jesus sacrificed himself where he first designed the brick house, where he told us, you never, ever have to be devoured. You never, ever have to be defeated. 
I'm making a place for you that will never be destroyed. What an amazing, what an amazing promise. And so we're going to go to the tables after I finish speaking and we're going to take some bread to represent the, the body that he, he broke, his, his own broken body. And a cup representing the blood that was spilled, his sacrifice, his death, that meant our life. And we're going to take that together or take that in your own time and, and just ponder the fact. For now, don't ponder what you need to do or don't ponder any of the arguments. I just for a second, just while we take communion, just ponder the fact that you are safe. That's it. You are safe. You are okay. Everything is fine. That's not a platitude. Everything is fine. We can deal this afternoon with all of the stuff that the Spirit puts on your heart to deal with and all of that sort of stuff or not, whatever. But for this moment, you're safe. Let me pray. Lord, we may underestimate the big bad wolf sometimes. We may underestimate Satan and, and his power and, and his work in the world, but um, you didn't, and, and you know exactly what we need, and you've provided safety and sanctuary for us. And Lord, we desperately want to help others find the same thing, and we want to live lives that draw people in instead of pushing people away. And we're sorry for when we did. But Lord, we know that ultimately you're the one who draws people in. And ultimately, Lord, you're in control. You're in charge. And you love us. And we thank you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455 Thank you for listening.